Hey friends, once again, you're listening to the Hope and Hard Pills podcast, where we are exploring practical insight for racial justice and social change. I'm your host, Andre Henry, singer, songwriter, and author. And I, for the past several years, I've been on a serious intellectual quest to understand how do ordinary people work together to change the world? And some of you have been along on this journey. I really appreciate you all. Those of you on my email list, those of you who have been supporting this show through Patreon, which by the way, if you want to be a part of the work that we're doing, you like, you know, what we're producing with Hope and Hard Pills. Patreon's a great way to do that. So you can go to patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Uh, today, oh, the music on this show, I think, is from me. I should say that with more confidence. The music on today's show is brought to you by me. And today we have a very special guest on the show. Uh, Blythe Hill, CEO of Dressember, is with us today. And we're going to talk about her work. Thanks for being on the show, Blythe. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since we've had a conversation about December. I know we've had a conversation before when I worked with uh, Relevant Media Group. So um, I'm excited for our listeners to the Hope and Hard Feels podcast to hear about what you're doing and hopefully participate in December this year because they can still yes. do that, right? It's, it's not too oh, late. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. It is not too late on December 30th to, <laughs> to join in. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, yeah. so... Blythe, how would you describe the work that you do? Yeah, so I run an anti-human trafficking nonprofit organization called the Dressember Foundation. And our main bread and butter is an annual style challenge where thousands of people across the world commit to wearing a dress or a tie every day during the month of December as a way to start conversations and spread accurate information about human trafficking and ultimately raise critical funding for anti-trafficking work across the U.S. and across the world. Um, so it's a really easy, fun, tangible access point into a yeah. really heavy, complex issue. Yeah. And I, this is partly what I love about December is that it it does, like I've seen people, I haven't participated yet. I should do that this year. I don't have you any should. ties. <laughs> I don't you have only any need ties one. at all. You only need one or a dress, I, you know. Oh, oh, Why, yeah. not? I mean, I, Why not? I don't have any dresses either, but <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So first off, but I've seen other people participating in it and it does seem like a very, um, like you said, like a fun way to participate in some kind of awareness, you know, some consciousness raising work. How did that come about? How did that idea to do it through uh, like a, a fashion challenge come about for you? Yeah, it definitely wasn't something that I was like, oh, this is this would be a great way to talk about human trafficking. I um, mm -hmm. I sort of did it in reverse where I was in college and started this style challenge just for fun mm -hmm. without any mm -hmm. cause element or campaign tied to it. And then it grew. Um, my friends wanted to join in and, and my friends' friends wanted to join in. And I started to think like, well, I guess I joke, I have a lot of bad ideas that never like get beyond my immediate circle. So I was like, oh, people, people like this. People who don't even know me are, are wanting to do this. And so that's wow. when I started thinking about what more it could be. And it felt like really going out on a limb to align it with anti-trafficking. But it was something I was really passionate about and really frustrated trying to find an entry point for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did that come together smoothly? Like you, I mean, I didn't realize that it's, I don't, I were, at least I guess I didn't remember that it didn't start 
you know, with the style challenge and the um, anti-human trafficking. So was that kind of a bumpy marriage to bring together? Yeah, yeah, it was initially. I mean, there was a lot of like the initial, the initial feedback, like by and large was positive or like at least like sort of neutral. (laughs) But then there Mm -hmm. were some people that were like, this is so dumb. Like, what do you, what are you doing? I mean, strangers on the internet, you know, they can be brutal, but it was just very like, what does this have to do with human trafficking? This is a vanity campaign. I mean, people still, Mm -hmm. there's still kind of that criticism and the tension of like trying to do this advocacy work and not center ourselves Mm -hmm. in it and yet do Mm -hmm. it in a way that is drawing attention to us through dresses and, and kind of walking people through that. But yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a journey for sure with a lot of nuance. Yeah. I, I never thought about that before, but like I've I've heard that in critique in my own work from people who are mostly like not interested in participating anyway. But (laughs) but this idea of attention, right? Like this is very important for us to draw people's attention to whatever social justice issue, you know, that we are passionately working in. Could we talk just about like some of the things that the milestones that you've seen over the years since you started with your center? I feel like there have been like a lot of exciting, encouraging, I, I, I would call them wins. I don't know if you call them wins, you know, um, that, that you all have seen over the years. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, macro big picture, it, since 2013, we've been able to raise $13 million through wow. primarily this campaign. So that's pretty good. Like that's a pretty good defense to someone who might say like, Oh, this, like, what does putting on a dress or tie really do? Like, how does that change anything? You're like, well, millions of dollars can certainly change things (laughs) and has. Um, and yeah, more than like the dollar amount, it's what those funds can do because change requires money as I'm sure you're aware, like, um, and especially anti-trafficking work is highly individualized, highly complex it's you know trauma facing work and so it's not inexpensive so there's been a ton of wins like looking more on the micro level like looking at just individual lives that are being transformed and and seeing people go through a whole journey from a situation that's incredibly exploitive to mm-hmm. economic opportunity i mean tr- healing and restoration and then like economic not just opportunity not just uh the the first step but really like thriving like we've seen people really Mm. like start their own business and really thrive um so that's super exciting to see it's yeah it it's amazing to see you know i think individual stories are the most powerful for for me for anyone really but then even looking at whole communities and whole cities, countries that are changing because of justice systems changing Mm -hmm. and being reformed. That's really exciting too. I mean, first off, that's a huge uh, (laughs) uh, accomplishment. $13 million. Wow. And I want to get more specific about what the work looks like beyond. So we know what participants do to raise awareness, but what are those dollars doing? Like what happens through December beyond the consciousness raising? Yeah, yeah. So we have a network of partners across the U.S. and across the world that we're supporting um, strategically, Mm -hmm. collaboratively on specific programs. And so everything from prevention to intervention to aftercare all the way through vocational training 
Um, and then we also, over the last several years, have seen some gaps in programming available to, to survivors or, or victims or people who are vulnerable. And so we've launched some of our own internal programming. We've actually launched mm. a survivor scholarship fund to provide unrestricted funding to survivors who want to pursue anything academically or vocationally. So anything from a four-year college to a trade school or certification or um, cosmetology school or like coding camp, you know, they're just, we want it to be mm-hmm. really broad because that, that sort of funding, if it does exist, it's like by university or by program. And we want to be able to connect through our partners and provide individuals with any sort of opportunity that they don't have to go hunt for it necessarily. And then the other one that we've started is the survivor justice initiative, which I'm super passionate about. I mean, I, I love all of our work, but this one in particular, like it fires Mm -hmm. me up because still in the U S our justice system just fails. It fails victims every day. It, Mm -hmm. we continue to criminalize victims of trafficking and totally miss their victimization or perpetuate the sort of perfect victim narrative that like, oh, if if someone has participated in a crime, even peripherally, they are a criminal. Mm. And we rely on, we we ask or put the responsibility on a victim to self-identify, to advocate for their own rights. And Mm. um, in order to be seen primarily as a victim, it's on them to make that happen. And so as a result, we have children who are trafficking victims who have been forced to be involved in a crime Hmm. trafficking like so many other crimes like there's a lot of overlap with drugs with burglary whatever else Mm -hmm. um and traffickers are smart they'll make a a victim complicit in a crime so they can't go to the police or don't feel safe doing that and so as a result there are probably tens of thousands of trafficking victims currently incarcerated who committed those crimes while they were victims of trafficking Mm. initially advocating for the children you know the ones who were minors when this happened is kind of our easiest entry point getting public buy-in i hope it's been a slower than i'd like kind of onboarding our community into that conversation but Mm -hmm. eventually you know broadening support for for survivors and and ideally support before they go into uh, into prison, like earlier in the, that justice process. Wow. I'm, as I'm sitting here, I'm realizing that, you know, there may be a, a lot of people listening who those challenges might be surprising to them, you know, um, to hear, especially about, you know, minors, you know, and how the criminal justice system is locking up people who were kind of forced into doing something that would keep them like in that situation. I mean, is there anything more that you would say about that for people for whom this subject is entirely new to them? I guess I'm wondering, like, what we don't know, because even I feel like when I hear people who are interested in human trafficking or in anti-human trafficking work, they are usually the only person that I know. They're kind of like an island. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see them necessarily working with another organization, working with other people, organizing. It seems like more like a personal passion in that way. And so that to me seems to signal that maybe we don't understand this as a broader social issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a bummer to hear. And it's like, 
it's a tragedy because I think nothing happens except except through relationship, right? And in community, mm-hmm. like that's how change happens. That's how it's fine if someone is new to or not, you know, uh, yeah, I guess like new to an issue or a cause. Mm-hmm. But I think like a super necessary next step is to find your people who are also like interested in it um, mm-hmm. so that you can create change and so that you can continue to learn about the issue because the media very much portrays trafficking as one thing. And mm-hmm. that's not to say that it is not that thing, but I, I think there's still this problem of, of the perception of trafficking as primarily kidnapping People mm. are afraid of their own kids being kidnapped. And uh, I guess the idea of like anyone at any time could be abducted and trafficked. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to say that's that no one, you know, no one is, anyone could be trafficked. You know, that could absolutely happen. Mm-hmm. But abduction and kidnapping is like 1%, like less than 1% of the like recruiting method that traffickers Mm. use it's like back to relationships like it happens through grooming it happens through relationships through coercion and manipulation Mm. and when we're talking about like which individuals or which communities are most vulnerable to trafficking it is communities of color it's Mm. um foster youth and lgbtq youth and runaway youth and low-income youth so I think initially when people get drawn into this, it's it's through the like, oh my gosh, this could happen to my kid fear. Mm. And like, no, not our kids. But the hope is like, okay, we'll continue to learn, find out that this is actually by and large happening to vulnerable communities, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say that those people who are so fired up are not part of. Right. And my hope is that like, okay, continue to learn and still care, you know, like Mm. still, Mm -hmm. still care, still be outraged that like, no, this, this cannot and should not be happening to, to any kids. And it matters just as much. Like, even if my kid is not as vulnerable, like nearly as vulnerable as someone else's kid, like on an, an indigenous community or yeah, again, any of the populations I mentioned that it's still it matters and and it's important that we really amplify that that's what's happening so that the resources are going that direction yeah you know that that reminds me of when I mean when I first started speaking up about racial justice often it was mostly in you know Christian context I don't really do that as much anymore but it was first you know with my social circle, which was a a bunch of church folks and all that kind of stuff. And I remember the reluctance uh, with which the, you know, Christian leaders would handle, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, anti-racism movements. And at the same time, I would see like this, like, what seemed like the social justice issue that it was okay to care about was human trafficking for some reason. And I always thought that that was odd. And then actually uh, someone that I write about in my book, that's coming out in March, you know, I write about how like they came around on the issue of racial justice because they started working with an anti-human trafficking organization and they learned in the process that it disproportionately uh, affected communities of color, which even I didn't know, (laughs) 
you know, I didn't even know that at the time. I mean, I'm not surprised though, because, you know, like, you know, the systems that we have tend to disproportionately affect the same people oftentimes, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. One, one rebuttal that I do get, you know, on this, or I have gotten a lot on this issue or not a rebuttal, but a deflection is a lot of us are trying to like bring up the legacy of colonialism and enslavement in America to say like, there's a reason why people who belong to the same social groups oftentimes are disproportionately affected by, you know, supremacist violence, you know, or racial violence and all this other kind of stuff. So the mention of enslavement, you know, oftentimes somebody will say, well, there, there are plenty of slaves in the world, you know, and they'll, slavery is a problem now and what what they're doing is using human trafficking as kind of a foil to Mm -hmm. talking about racial justice issues i feel like you're probably i mean i'm putting you on the spot here so it's totally fine to be like i don't have anything (laughs) to say about that but i feel like you've probably heard that argument before and wondering how i don't know just what 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 do you what do you say to that um yeah i i don't know if i've specifically like heard that argument but the the like phrase modern day slavery is a Mm -hmm. super popular phrase when talking Mm -hmm. about human trafficking and a a number of anti-trafficking organizations like use that phrase we used to use that phrase it was so it's common it's um Mm. it's a common like equation equating you know Mm -hmm. and pretty recent i mean within the last year or two i'm trying to remember when we actually like officially we've been talking about it for a couple years but we like officially explicitly Mm -hmm. said like we need to reconsider this phrasing that we're using like you know here's why we're gonna we're gonna move away from this phrase and like abolitionist language and and Mm -hmm. even like rescue language Mm. for a number of reasons i mean a ton of like racial reasons where like this is problematic like we cannot equate a a legal system of exploitation in the u.s (laughs) like a legal historic Mm. system of exploitation with what is now like an illegal criminal industry Mm -hmm. and then also uh again wanting to be just in everything we do survivor informed and hearing from a ton of survivors a ton of whom are people of color that that slavery verbiage does not that doesn't resonate with them with their experience Mm. the majority of sex trafficking survivors that doesn't resonate with them uh and like rescue language it's more like you know they weren't locked in a closet somewhere or chained to a bed they were free to come and go And, you know, of course, had these like trauma bonds and like Mm. emotional relational chains, but they like in that circumstance would not have seen, would not have responded to rescue language. And so if Mm. we are, again, if we're portraying trafficking as slavery, and that's not what the majority of victims are going to be self-identifying as, we are not helping those victims to to ultimately step out of that. Um, yeah, I could talk about this for a long time, but those are kind of like, (laughs) I mean, we've definitely like blogged about it a couple of times and and posted about it. And yeah, people have a varying degree of, of readiness to, (laughs) to receive that. Yeah. We definitely offer it as like an invitation, like, Hey, we're not going to use this language. Here's why. 
And we mm-hmm. would like you to also reconsider that language. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, a wide range of, 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 of willingness to do that in our, in yeah. our community. And, and that's been super interesting to, to see. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you taking taking that on, taking on the question. I know that we're running short on time. So before we do, I want to ask you, how can people participate in Dressember? And how can they keep up with the work you're doing? Yeah, Dressember.org slash fundraise is where you can sign up. I guess before you even go there, you you have to decide that you're going to do it. You know, that like, mm-hmm. there's a million reasons not to do it. It's like, oh, it's cold in December, or I don't own a tie, or, you know, fill in the <laughs> blank. But it's like, ultimately, deciding to sacrifice your own comfort or fill in the blank in order to be to engage in this issue. Like any sort of advocacy work is going to require a sacrifice, whether it's your ego or your time or your comfort, like any of those things. It's just making the decision that like, okay, do I hate this injustice more than I hate putting on a dress or a tie for a month? And actually just want to personally invite anyone who's on the fence. Like not only do you get to participate in actually changing people's lives, but I can't even explain how this happens. It will change you as well in the Mm -hmm. process. Like it is a powerful experience. There's something like ritualistic about every day putting on this uniform of an advocate and stepping into this community. And then keeping up with us, Instagram's the best place. Um, I'll do a little plug here. We have a 17-minute documentary coming out tomorrow. Oh. I guess by the time this podcast airs, it will be up. Mm -hmm. So that is a great thing to watch to learn about how it started what we're doing and a great thing to share with people to get them excited about it as well because December is way more fun when you do it with other people like everything yeah. in life <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes things. a lot of sense <laughs> Most things in life. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense what keeps you going what keeps you showing up to do the work yeah, for me, I'm going to I'm going to get real raw in the last like 3 minutes here that we're talking, but mm-hmm. yeah. the, the reason I am so compelled towards this work is it's super personal for me. I mm-hmm. I experienced sexual abuse as a little girl and yeah. and I talk about it in the documentary and having the personal experience of like, you know, the impact of that on a person, what that does to you, the 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 questions around your identity and your worth that it raises for for decades really um just the implications of that and then having experience like healing and moving forward i want that for everyone like you know i just it's the continual like gas in my tank that like no one should have to experience that and recovery is possible yeah i appreciate you sharing that with us thank you um yeah Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, Blad, it's been a pleasure talking with you again and having you on the show. Everyone, make sure you visit Dressember.org, you know, and um, see how you can get involved and participate. I am going to buy a tie this year. So if you want to do Dressember with me, you know, hit me up. So, all right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andre. Thank you so much for listening today. 
If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Also, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps us get into more ears and minds. You can find all the links in the show notes for today's guest, as well as Andre's newsletter, Patreon, and book. You can connect with Andre on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheAndreHenry. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. We'll see you next time.